Hey, what's going on, everyone? Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Building Pickleball, where I interview pickleball company and brand founders to uncover their story as a founder, their idea, setbacks, failures, and their contribution to the fastest growing sport, which is pickleball. Our guest today is Jonathan Clay, founder of Kitsch Pickleball. Uh, Jonathan, thanks again for joining us. And uh, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and Kitsch? Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, so Kitsch Pickleball, we're an online retail and custom apparel company. Been around in pickleball since uh, for the last seven years. We've, we actually launched year two of the U.S. Open um, kind of after seeing the, the growth of not only the U.S. Open itself, but the sport as a whole over the course of you know, the first year we were involved, we, we, we launched and never since then we've been off to the races. It's been a very interesting ride to say the least. Um, you know, we're one of those companies that has been around since before I'll call the craze of pickleball. So seeing it in kind of that very early infant stage as it was starting to, to boil and then now to, you know, full blown on fire. Uh, in, in a matter of five to six short years, it's been a pretty crazy, crazy journey. Um, so yeah, retail apparel, uh, we're starting to get into, into some accessories and other products, but you know, our goal is really to try and be that lifestyle apparel brand for the sport of pickleball, you know, and be a little bit of a disruptor to the, you know, quote unquote, big brands that are starting to come in already. And I'm predicting, you know, going to definitely come in in the coming uh, year or two. So that's kind of who we are. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so you mentioned you've had this company going around for 16 years. What, how did it like initially start out? Like what was kind of like the idea that started out compared to like what it is now? So oddly enough, we actually started in racquetball. Um, I started playing racquetball in college and got heavily involved in my college team, uh, got sponsored by a racket company, started playing tournaments, ran my college team, interned for a racket company. So sort of throughout my college days, you know, I was uh, always interested in entrepreneurship and I was able to do some kind of cool work for various racquetball companies. Um, coming out of, of college, I went to grad school. And while I was in grad school, I, I taught myself graphic design because I was bored in class uh, and started like kicking around designing like funny racquetball t-shirts. I was still at that point going to like 25 tournaments a year. I started stringing rackets at tournaments to kind of pay for uh, you know, entry fees and travel and hotels and stuff, um, put out some t-shirts on a table and, and kind of spiraled that essentially into a racquetball clothing company. Um, over the course of probably the next 10 years after that, we developed ourselves into the largest brand uh, in the sport of racquetball that didn't make a racket. So, you know, if you took out all the companies that actually made the products you play the sport with, we were pretty much the largest brand name in it. Um, did that for a long, long time, built up a, a, a huge, huge following in that sport, worked with probably 50 plus pros, various pro tours, uh, USA racquetball. We did all the uniforms for team USA. So through racquetball, I had my apparel on ESPN and the Pan Am games and some really cool, um, world championship type stuff. Uh, and then about seven years ago, Two friends of mine in in racquetball were the the people who ran Wilson, uh, which was a racket company. Uh, they left Wilson to found the U.S. Open uh, pickleball championships, 
And I was doing a lot of work with them in racquetball. They knew who I was. I was doing all their, you know, t-shirt printing and, and custom apparel, and they needed someone to do it for the U.S. Open. And when they first told me about the U.S. Open and pickleball, I had no idea what pickleball was, never heard of it, never saw it, never saw a paddle, didn't even have a clue the sport existed. Um, so I kind of got brought in at first, essentially as like a vendor, I guess you'd call it. You know, I, I was just brought down to the U.S. Open to sell t-shirts. And year one, I was just blown away you know, by this, by the sport. And, you know, it seemed like there was a gap in the market for, you know, a quote unquote, cool, hip, different youth based clothing company. Uh, and that's kind of what our brand name and brand focus was in racquetball for at that point over a decade. So I, I took a year after the first U S open, uh, designed all the initial apparel launch, uh, did the website, came up with the brand, did it all. And then when we went back to the U.S. Open for year two, that's when we officially launched the company. Um, so it was uh, is an interesting kind of really weird route into pickleball for sure. Um, but what's nice about it is, you know, we were able to sort of figure out the system of, of this business in racquetball, you know, throughout my, you know, 20s when I didn't know what the heck I was doing and, you know, made all the, I guess I, I could say I made all the big mistakes, you know, in, in that sport. You know, so now the mistakes I make on a daily basis are the small ones uh, in the, in this sport. Um, so that was that's kind of the 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 route we took. It was it's interesting, it's different. Um, and now fast forward to today, I I'm still involved in racquetball, uh, but the sport is kind of not the same as it as it was. You know, when I was when my racquetball company was in its heyday. You know, but we still are involved in the sport. But I am even as an athlete, player, whatever you want to call me, I, I am I am heavily heavily. Uh, all pickleball now and very, very little bit of racquetball in my life. Seems to be the uh, kind of like ongoing, kind of like a common story now that uh, pickleball is taking over different facets of people's lives. Used to be like yeah. something might be about tennis and now pickleball is kind of dominating and taking over that part of life. Um, but you mentioned something that that was pretty interesting. You said that you made some of the bigger mistakes um, early on and that could have been in you know, like when you were working with racquetball, do you recall any, anything in particular, like say if I was found, founding a business, like would the, would any of these mistakes be something that you would kind of want founders to know or to kind of like understand before getting into this uh, entrepreneurship? Yeah, it, it's a great question and it, it's tough because it's kind of different for every business and you know, what's, I'm trying to think, I'm thinking of the right way to word this. So the, the fallacy is you don't want to make mistakes, but that's not accurate. You actually want to make mistakes, especially in business, you know, because mistakes are actually how you get better and learn, you know, you try to mitigate those mistakes and not make them disastrous, but you know, you need to find a happy medium of being risky and trying new things and also not over risking to where you, you know, really, really make stumbles. But I mean, I can remember in the day, like in, in racquetball, you know, it's, 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 it was actually very similar to the way pickleball is now, how there's a, a, a huge amount of recreational and, and amateur players, and then a very small subset of, um, you know, pros and tournament players and people who are, you know, locked into watching live feeds and, you know, what, what you'll call the diehards. And I think probably the biggest mistake I made in racquetball that I'm, doing differently now in pickleball is 
focusing too heavily on that, you know, pro side tournament player side, which is really the smallest subset of the sport, you know, and while it's fun and cool and, you know, listen, I, I worked with a lot of pros in, in, in racquetball. I've, there's not many pros in the sport over the last 20 years that I haven't at least had a t-shirt on at some point, you know, but that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, you know, management of, of, uh, of personalities, takes a lot of money, you know, and while you're spending all your time, effort and energy there, there's thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people on the other side of the sport that are your everyday customer, you know, and it's very similar to pickleball now. And it's kind of one of the things that I see as a little bit of a, you know, I think it's a mistake, you know, it's everyone's got their own, their own way of looking at it. But, you know, right now, you know, whatever the numbers are, people say five, six million players in the United States, it's a huge, huge customer base, but only maybe a hundred to 200,000 are on that, you know, tournament side who really care about, you know, all the pros, how they're, who's going to win, you know, Boca Raton this weekend or Mesa, Arizona next weekend or wherever the tours are. You know, it's a very small subset, you know, to me as a business, while you want to have kind of what I call tentacles into that side of the sport, you need to focus your marketing efforts into getting after the millions of people who are players. Because at the end of the day, those are the people who are your customers, you know, so to, to package all that into what the mistake was, it was, you know, basically getting too enamored with, you know, the sexy side of, of the industry. And, and not overlooking, but sort of losing touch with the core everyday player. That's, you really need, that core everyday player is the one that's going to make you, that they're going to buy your t-shirts, they're going to buy your paddles, they're, whatever the product is you're selling, you know, that's the, the person you want. Play your tournaments, you know, plunk down your $200 to play in the, you know, the 4050 plus, that's your, that's your everyday customer. You know, so that that was a, a big one that I probably have learned from racquetball to this. Everything else is all just kind of, you know, you're going to find in business that every, every day you're going to try something. And sometimes you'll think an idea is the greatest thing in the world and it's going to fall on it flat on its face. Sometimes you're going to think an idea is kind of blah and it's going to be a home run. You know, and the moral of that is just try stuff, you know, try stuff and trust your gut and be willing to learn from everything, whether positive or negative. You know, there's definitely things that I've thought were going to be fantastic ideas in, in my past, and they were just dogs. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, you got you to gotta chalk it up and say, all right, we'll try something new. But you always have to be innovating. You always have to be trying new things because um, you never know what's going to hit. You never know what lesson is going to learn, be learned that is going to be valuable for the future endeavor or, or, or thing you try. So that's kind of the, the, the advice there is just try stuff, you know, be willing, be willing to take risks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I could totally agree with that. I think, um, there's a lot of truth in doing things before you're ready. And also like they say about like Edison, you know, like it took him, you know, you did like a thousand light bulbs and a thousand and one was the one that was like the breakthrough. So taking a lot of risks. I think that, and trying like often makes a lot of sense. Um, and is there like, is this entrepreneurial spirit? Did this come from like someone in your family? Like where did this kind of start? I know you mentioned you had it kind of always interested when you were starting up racquetball, but wasn't sure if 
this came from a particular, maybe a book or person? You know, it's funny. I can't, I actually get that question asked a lot and I can't really trace it to, to anything real. I'd always, I always had just a general interest in it. Um, but even in college, like, I, I mean, I, I went to college and my master's for marketing, so I didn't really take classes in entrepreneurship really at, at all. Um, I did have a couple of, of professors in college that um, ran some of the marketing programs, very kind of entrepreneurial and kind of business forward, not academic forward. And that always kind of, I was always drawn to that. Um, and then, when, you know, early on in college, I started running the team and, you know, it just kind of, it's just kind of slowly built and grew. Um, but then what really kind of set me off on the path was coming out of grad school. Uh, I actually took a job with a company that designed and built um, large scale trade shows and exhibits for high end broadcast companies. So we did um, like giant 200 foot uh, trade show booths for like NBC Universal, Turner Broadcasting, Nickelodeon, really cool stuff. And uh, one of our biggest clients was NBC Universal. And at, at the time, there's this thing in, in media called Upfronts, which is when all of the, uh, the TV stations or networks come together and showcase all their new TV programming for advertisers. And it's usually just done in like a big auditorium. They show, um, they show video and clips and stuff, and then they you know, throw a big party. Well, NBC created this giant walkthrough for their their media people and they transform rockefeller center in new york city into essentially an immersive nbc experience and my boss and i you know we were a team that ran all these programs we kind of got that project at the same time we got this other project that was also enormous that you know she had been running prior to me and there was this internal struggle of like how do we um how do we manage both we don't have the time you know, and I just kind of went in one day and I don't even know why I said this. I, I don't know where it came from, but this was kind of like the, the entrepreneurial light bulb, I guess you'd, you'd say. I walked in our office and I was like, I'm just going to take Universal and do it myself. And which at that, like at that level, I was at the company just made no sense. Like no, whatever. I don't even know what my title was, but no one at that title would run a project, let alone like the largest project in the company at the time. Um, and I was like, well, here's the thing. Like you, you know, the other project in and out. I have to learn that one because I haven't run that one yet. We both have to learn this. Why don't we just split it up and I'll just learn this and run run everything by you. So I just kind of like decided among, uh, decided to myself that I was just going to take on this, you know, $4 million, you know, immersive experience for NBC, you know, and it went great and it was awesome. And I just got like, a, it was so much fun to do that. Um, and then at the same time, my kind of side business was starting to take off. And I was like, man, I think I really like, I want to work for myself. I want to do, I wanted to, I just, I, I just wanted to own something. I wanted to, you know, I always had this thing where I want, if, if, if a success happened, I wanted it to be because of me. And at, at the same time, if a failure happened, I wanted it to be my fault. I just wanted it all. Um, so I, one, one day cut like six months, seven months after that, that big event, I went in and I quit my job and took my, my business full time on a whim. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's definitely a very interesting part, like having to make that decision where you have that like $4 million experience with NBC and you probably could have had like a very like cush salary and things like a very predictable kind of future, or you could have like taken the gamble and that risk um, on yourself. And you kind of mentioned how like 
you always wanted that side, your own side business and be, if you succeed, then it's yours. If it, if you fail, it's yours. Is there anything else that kind of went into that decision or maybe anyone else that was in that picture when you're making that, when you're making that call? So my, my dad, for sure. So I remember, you know, I, I say that I quit my job on a whim. It was pretty much on a whim, but there was some thought to it. Um, you know, the, the little bit of backstory was um, I had taken this job because the company was, it was a really, really cool company. Um, but the salary was kind of lower than I would have wanted to take at that time. But I loved the opportunity. And to this day, I'll tell you, I love that job. You know, if I ever don't work for myself, which I hope I, that never happens, I would go back and do the job in a heartbeat. It was really cool. Um, you know, but the salary was a little lower than I might have wanted. And this was right when the recession happened and the whole company took a 20% pay cut. So I was kind of put in a position where I was like, man, I was, I was just at the point at the job where I was like, maybe I could get a bump in salary. Now we're all taking a cut company wide. It's going to take me so many more years just to get back to where I started from, which is still not where I want to be. You know, so I went to my dad and I just asked his, his advice. You know, he's, uh, he was in business his whole life and I always kick things around with him. Um, and I said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I, I think I'm going to take this thing full time. And he had just retired um, so he was like, well, listen, he, he, he told me to come up with a business plan, which I did. And he was like, you know, um, I'm, I'm retired. I'm, I'm, I'll be here to help, you know, whatever that means. I don't know. Like it wasn't like an employee or anything, but he's, he's like, as you're building this thing and, and you need advice, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right here to, you know, be your, 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 your eyes and ears for this kind of stuff. So he, so he kind of gave me, I, I guess you would say like the blessing of, you know, this isn't the totally you know, stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. And that was all I, that was all I needed. You know, I always, I've always had kind of a healthy, unhealthy level of confidence. Um, you know, and I, I've always, I always, I've always operated as a, as a business owner in a very simple way, you know, and it's, this is like the biggest piece of advice I always give people. Um, the mantra I always say to myself in the back of my head is I, I could always pump gas. You know, and, and what that means is there's always a job, you know, if, if this thing blows up tomorrow, there's a, like, I'll go find something to do. So as a result of that, like, go for it. Don't hold back. Like you can't hold back when you run a business, you, you have to sprint, you have to try stuff, you have to take risks. You got to be smart with all of those things, but you really have to put it all out there. You know, from like a poker terms, you got to go all in, you know, if you don't go all in, if you're not willing to go all in, don't run a business. It's just not the way you do things. You know, so I always had that mantra of if, if, if I go all in and I go broke, it's okay. Like it's not, you know, that, that if you don't have that mantra, that fear can kind of take over your, 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 your brain and cause you to make bad decisions. You know, it's going to make you not take that risk or not try that thing you thought might be a good idea because, oh, I don't know. What if it doesn't work out? Well, it might not work out. It might be a bad idea. It might, you might lose money on it. Like it's okay. Like you got it. You just have to put your chips in the middle, you know, if you want to try and win the pot. That's kind of how I always, always looked at it. Yeah. And sometimes that's kind of what you need, like that fear steering you from behind. It's kind of, it's pushing you forward. Like, what if I go broke? What if it doesn't work out? I mean, that's sometimes that's those things that keep you up at night is exactly what you need in order to like propel you forward. Um, and there are those lights. <laughs> yeah. Um, you had, let's see. Okay. As far as like, when you said 
your dad's, you know, kind of giving you advice and um, he was willing to help you out. Um, is there anything else that any other advice that really stuck out that you learned from him? Oh God, all of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to pinpoint one thing because it's been so many years, you know, I think the, a lot of the advice, interestingly enough, that you I've gotten from him just as a person is very applicable to business, you know, and it's simple stuff like don't, don't live above your means, you know, don't, you know, stay in your, stay in your lane. You know, it's, 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 that's a hard one. It's, it's simple stuff. Um, you know, he, he guides me on every single decision at this pretty much over the, like, I always go, you know, if, if he's going to listen to this at some point and then he's going to call me and say, you know, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. You don't listen to anything. Um, but that's just the, the, the nature of uh, of father son relationship. Um, but I definitely have. Uh, I definitely have. It, it, it's it, it's more the little stuff, you know. I can't I can't pinpoint. It's going to be a terrible answer to the question. I can't pinpoint anything major, but it's just all of the little things, and it's sometimes the things that in the moment you you don't see. I guess that's probably a, a good way to answer this without. Sort, sort of really answering your question. And it's it's when you do seek advice, whatever it is, whether it's my dad or whoever else you, you go to, you know, a lot of times people will see something differently than you will because you're you're living inside it every day, you know, and it takes those other people to kind of highlight the simple things that you might be missing, you know, in order to to, to drive your decision. So you should ask advice. You should always trust your gut. You should always you know, not change your mind for other people, but you definitely have to, you know, run things. You have to have a support system. You have to have a, a sounding board. Cause if you don't, you're, you're, you're always going to have that uncertainty, you know, and you, you need that devil's advocate voice in the back of, in the back of your head. So whoever that is for you, 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 you got to find that person. So ter- terrible answer to your question, but that one kind of had, had me stumped a little bit. <laughs> no, it works. It works. I mean, the people that are very close to you always say so many things. They sometimes go through one ear out the other and some things really stick. But um, yeah, that's a really good point about like having a support system. I think um, that can definitely contribute to a lot of success. Um, one question I had is you said you kind of have this unhealthy, unhealthy level of confidence. Where do you think that came from? I, I've always had it. I, I can't, there, there's, didn't come from anywhere. It just came from competitiveness, really, you know, and not being afraid to lose. I think that's probably where I got it. I have, I have no idea. You know, I've been an athlete my whole life. I, I've always been hyper, hyper competitive. Um, and I think what's good about it kind of sounds egotistical. What's good about my confidence is it's very checked by realism, you know, and I always used to think about this when I was, when I was playing racquetball, you know, I, every, every match I ever played, I could put in, in one of three buckets, you know, it's a match that I should win every time. It's a match that I should lose every time. And then there's the 50, 50 toss ups in the middle, you know, and I could, I, I could very easily, you know, with, very little confidence or a lot of confidence, but very much humbleness put my myself in, in, in any one of those categories, even the ones where I knew I was going to lose, 
you know, but what was important was no matter what bucket that match went into, the second I stepped on the court, I thought I was the best, you know, now I remember that there was matches I played where I went in thinking I, you know, I, the, the door closed and I was ready to go and I was going to, I, I knew I could win and I just got my butt kicked. And the second I walked out of the door, I was like, yeah, I was wrong. I got my butt kicked, you know? So it, it's that level of confidence that you need to have, but also understand that you're not going to win everything. You're not the best at everything. You know, it's not an ego. People think confidence is ego and it's not, you know, confidence is just belief in yourself. Um, and if you're going to run a business, you have to believe that you're the best. You just have to, you know, now standing here, am I, am I going to tell you that I'm the best at everything? No, but internally to my own sort of inner monologue. Yeah. I believe I am the best at what I do. You know, that's how I operate. You know, in reality, I could tell you I'm not. There are certain, like, like I think I, like, from a design standpoint and a creative and marketing standpoint, I believe I am the best. I know I'm not. But you have to have that belief in yourself because if you don't, you get doubt. And when you have doubt, then everything goes to you know what. You know, so you, you, you need to truly believe at all times you're the best at everything, you know, because then, if you see someone better than you, it's that belief that's going to drive you to want to beat them. And I, and I, I see that all the time. Like I, I love competition. I love seeing, you know, new companies, you know, come into, come into pickleball. That's competition. That's more people for me to beat. You know, when I remember in the, in the early days of the U S open, there were a lot of vendors and, you know, I would come back from the tournament and tell friends, um, you know, like from racquetball, about how, how well, because at that point I was really heavily dipped into two sports and I would tell them how well I did. And they're like, yeah, well, you, you're only doing that well because you're the only vendor. And I'm like, no, I was one of six. Like there were four other clothing vendors in eyesight of me, but no one sold more than I did. That, that fueled me. I love seeing that. I, I want competition. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the only game in town because then there's no one to push me, you know, but but I, I want to be the best. I love seeing these big brands come in to the sport, you know, because once again, this is one of those in, inner monologues versus, you know, outward facing stuff. But internally, I want to be better than Nike. I want to be better than Reebok or under. Now I know I'm not, I'm listen, I'm, I'm never going to be one of those companies, but the, the belief in myself is, yeah, I can beat those guys. And I want, and I want to, I, I want to, I, I said in the beginning, I want to be a disruptor. You know, while I probably will never be a Nike, I could be a disruptor to Nike. And that means I beat them at something, you know, that, that fuels me. That's what kind of gets me up at, in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need competition. Like everyone needs competition, especially like whoever's the best, you know, like competition brings the best out of you. You need an antagonist in the story. Um, in a way, those two or six people, you know, organizations depend on each other. Um, it's kind of like how innovation and new ideas come up, come about too. It's usually ends up being better for the consumers as well. Um, as far as, you know, that's like a good point or, or like a good part I want to kind of talk about is big brands coming into sport. I'm sure it's not unfamiliar territory given you were in racquetball, but, um, in like pickleball, I don't think Nike's taking taken like a big shot in here yet but like adidas you know they have paddles they have uh gear and there's of course like all the different tennis brands who are um coming over and you know like they're kind of peeking over that fence and they're seeing what's going on 
So like, have you thought about kind of like bigger brands and like being a disruptor to bigger brands? What do you kind of focus on in order to compete against them? So it's, so it's interesting. So I, I put it, I put it in two different categories. Like I don't consider, you know, the, the tennis brands coming in to, to pick a wall, you know, cause they're, if you make hard goods, you know, if you're making rackets to, to then make paddles is not that big of a jump. It's pretty simple. You're, you're already doing manufacturing, you know, it's just a different, it's a different product. So really, you know, where that question should be focused is on the tried and true clothing companies. And like the Adidas one's not even a great example yet. Cause they're, they're coming in more on the hard goods side. They're not coming in on the apparel side. You know, the only company kind of big company that's coming on the apparel side so far is Fila. Um, and, while I do think the others are coming, my thought process is there's a very, the pickleball consumer is very unique. And only recently, and I would say in the last year or so, has the shift of the pickleball customer gone towards being brand centric. You know, for the, for the first five years of the company, pickleball people were pickleball centric. If you were, if you were in pickleball, it was great. I don't care what the brand is. Gamma, Onyx, yada, yada, yada. doesn't matter. Pickleball is pickleball. It's pickleball first, brand second. Now you're starting to see some brand loyalty um, sneak into the game and it's changing a little bit, but there's still the, a major focus of the pickleball customer is they want to support companies that are inside pickleball. You know, So for us, by trying to create a product and a brand and a look and feel that can stand up next to the big brands, but while also telling the story of we're a pickleball company, you know, because at the end of the day, listen, if, if Nike comes into pickleball, I, I know they just launched that goofy hooded or crew neck sweatshirt, you know, with pickleball over a swoosh. But that's that's a baby step into the sport. I'm not even considering that yet. You know, if, if these companies come into pickleball, all they're going to do is take the same products they sell in other arenas and market them to pickleball. Like you see that a lot right now with some of these like Instagrammy golf brands, you know, that you know, they have no, they have no interest in pickleball other than that it's a fad, but they're like, Hey, we're already doing this. We should come out with a couple of skews and see if it catches, you know? So it's, it's a lot of these companies that are just saying, Oh, well, pickleball is big right now. Let's just, let's just see if we can, you know, take advantage of the, of the, um, of the wave. Well, we're, we, we, we can't survive without the wave. You know, the, the difference is any of those golf companies, if pickleball takes a nosedive in six months, they're going to say, all right, put all, put those four shirts on clothes out and let's go back to golf. If pickleball takes a nosedive in six months, I'm out of business. You know, I, I'm my company. Our story is we are the clothing brand inside the sport of pickleball. You're not going to see kitsch tennis. You're not going to see kitsch racquetball. You're not going to see, you know, kitsch snowboarding. We're kitsch pickleball. You know, it's in the name, <laughs> you know, it, it, we need the sport to survive. So by, offering an elevated and high level product with an inside pickleball story that to me is the competitive advantage that we'll have not not over the big brands because listen nike's nike if nike comes in people are gonna want to buy I, I own nike you probably own Nike. like i'm not saying nike's a bad brand you know i wear nike shoes you know i have i have nike shirts it is it is what it is you know but they're not an inside pickleball company they're a global apparel company now could there be strategic partnerships that happen down the road where an outside company comes in and is looking for an, an, an inside industry partner? Sure. I think that's a great 
you know, avenue for us to, to look at down the road. Um, but that's, that to me is the story that makes sense is, you know, we are a company built by a pickleball player, formerly a racquetball player, you know, and, and we're doing it for pickleball players in the industry, you know, and we're not just gonna, we're not just pivoting to this sport because it's, it's hot. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard player of this game. I'm going to watch every single match on the live stream on the weekend. Like I I'm, I'm in it, <laughs> you know, in addition to being someone who, who founded a company inside of it. Yeah, absolutely. For the record, I'm uh, team Adidas. Um, Ooh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, kind of going over like, yes, yeah, so like Nike and all these other organizations, you know, that I think they have their like kind of market fit, their like innovation. They've been doing these things for a while, but kind of wanted to bring it back to earlier. We had some discussions about support system, but like, what is your company structure like? Like, what is your size? How many employees do you have? Like, do you have any business parts? Like who is kind of your uh, ride or die partner that helps you out? And um, is maybe if you have like a co-founder, um, yeah, things like that. Kind of a little more background of Kitsch and operations. I'm my own ride or die. <laughs> um, we're we're a we're a small company with a lot of independent contractors that we use for various things. Um, I have a partner on the production side. Um, I also have a partner on some of the marketing and promotional stuff that we're doing inside Picklewall. Um, but it, it's it's me, you know. Um, you know, and that's another very interesting kind of dynamic within the sport is that people in pickleball like to support companies where they know the person, you know, and a lot of this for me has come from the U S open, you know, cause we see tens of thousands of people over the course of two weeks and those people come back and see us every year and reach out throughout the year and become customers, you know, and I, I learned this early on. Um, and I didn't even really realize it and actually until later, you know, in the beginning of the years of the U.S. Open, I would bring um, my my dad with me down to the tournament, and he would be like my roaming sales guy in the booth. And he's a he's a talker, he's a seller. You know, he would have fun, make friends with all people, and he would just have the time of his life for a week. And now, you know, since COVID and stuff, my parents don't come with me anymore to the tournament. But I'll still have people like just this past year, I was at the U.S. Open, and some guy comes up to me, he's like, "Hey, where's the little guy with the gray hair?" And I'm like, "Huh." They're like, yeah, the little guy with the gray hair, he sold me a shirt like four years ago. I wanted to come and say hi. I'm like, oh, that's my, and I tell like, oh, that's my dad. You know, he's, he's not here this year. I'm like, oh man, you know, he, he was great. We talked for a while. Tell, when you get home, tell him I said hi. Like those, those touch points, you know, really told me like people like the fact that they're not walking into my booth and dealing with a bunch of brand ambassadors or dealing with a bunch of like, you know, hired people for the day. They're, they're dealing, they're dealing with me. You know, if you got a problem with an order, call me, you know, if you, if, if, you know, who, who's packing your, 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 your shipment got me, you know? So it, there's a value to that. Now we have grown and we do have help and we have other people doing some of that stuff now, you know, but not losing touch of that personal connection has really been, been valuable. Um, so we're, we're, a, we're not a big company, but we're not a small company either. Um, we're probably standing to, to grow this year for sure. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a very bootstrapped company for sure. Um, but now's the time where it's, it's, it's explosion time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's the sport is in like this really exciting phase where, although it's been around for like 50 years, it still has this kind of new feel to it. You know, it's has like this neighborhood mom and pop shop feel. You see the same people. It's like you said, it's not 
always just these reps um, that could be speaking to you know mostly just your organization, your your brand and your company. It's very personal, but you can even be close to pros. Like you can see them. You can. I mean, some of these pros have like two thousand followers on Instagram. You can like DM them and get a response back immediately. Like, good luck doing that with like the NBA or the NFL. So it's cool to even see some of the same folks at these tournaments. Um, yeah, it's definitely a really neat time. Um, what uh, what can people kind of expect next from Kitsch? I know you said use. Uh, a lot a, like a heavy focus on apparel and then you've got like some accessories uh that may be coming out yes yeah, so this year's gonna be interesting we um we have a bunch of cool stuff going on some of it's kind of top secret but the stuff i can say is you know uh, you're gonna see a bit of a uh, a change in the style of our apparel especially in the first uh probably quarter to half of this year um you know, we're redoing our website. And if you look at our website now, the majority of our apparel, you know, our lane is lifestyle, cool colors, cool logos, you know, you know, bigger, more in your face kind of graphics um, on performance apparel. Uh, but the style of pickleball is really more starting to change, you know, towards that Tennessee look, simpler, cleaner, um, more professional, so to speak. Um, just a higher end look and feel to the apparel. So we're going to be splitting our marketing between two types of apparel on our website. The the stuff you see now, which is the 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 larger graphics, cooler colors, stuff like that. That's going to be sort of our our kitsch lifestyle collection. And then we're launching. We we have a, a few items out there now, but we haven't really fully done the marketing push on the kitsch PB Sport collection, which is the higher end. Um, we're going to be a lot doing a lot more collared shirts. Um, smaller logos, kind of, you know, a takeoff on the the Nike tennis, Adidas tennis look. Um, so it's going to be two different types of apparel you're going to see. Probably make a big push with that and launch for that at the U.S. Open this year, which is where you'll see it for the most part as we slowly roll it out over the, the you know first quarter of this year. Um, we're trying to get more into events, uh, both large scale and smaller boutique events this year. Uh, we have a big tournament here in New Jersey, which is the New Jersey Open. That is kind of our, you know, landmark event of the year. Large uh, pro tournament has been in the past. It's going to be a, an amateur festival this year. But we're also going to start getting into smaller camps and clinics, um, destination travel style events, pop-up style uh, events. We have a road tour that we beta tested last year where we're sending a, a vehicle on the road to go set up at uh, various, you know, smaller to, to mid-sized tournaments just to try and put our brand in front of new markets that maybe, you know, don't know us as well as others. Um, so really sort of putting more of a focus on elevating the apparel and, and getting back to grassroots marketing. That's kind of the big thing for us. There's some other stuff we're working on on the teaching side and facility side, um, but that's all more to come. But it's, this year is going to be an, an expansion year. We're hoping to build out a um, continue to build out our pro team and ambassador team. Um, just really trying to, you know, everything I do now is trying to get my brand and our company in front of what I call the Saturday morning player. You know, not necessarily the person who's going to, you know, go onto YouTube and tune into the PPA or MLP, you know, but the person who's going to the park on Saturday morning and playing for three and a half hours. That's, that's who I want to get in front of all across the country. So you're going to see a lot of stuff from us that really 
puts a focus uh, on that side of the sport this year. Awesome. I know uh, plenty of those kinds of people. We all do. That's the whole, that's the, that's the lifeblood of the sport. You know, that's, that's who's going to be driving the sport for the next, hopefully more years than we know how to count. Um, you know, everything else to me, I think is, is very cyclical and very, uh, volatile, you know, whereas I don't think the, I don't think the recreational side of the sport is volatile at all. Yeah. That seems pretty consistent. Um, you mentioned something about building out the pro team. Are there any players that uh, we would know about? Just asking for a friend. Um, so I, I, I can't really say who we're, we're talking to right now, but I can tell you that you know we, we have a number of pros now. We have Johnson Cola, we have Cassandra Gurky, we have Altoff Merchant. Um, those those players are going to continue. Uh, we have done some some work with some other pros, but we're really trying to fine tune things this year. Our goal is, you know, uh, two top males and two top females. You know, that's kind of our our, our focus this year, trying to figure out who those right people are. Um, you know, because we don't for for us, it's not necessarily about finding the the, the best player. The player is going to be on every podium or on every live. You know, it's it's really finding the player who is marketable, who has an interesting story. You know, it's the biggest thing I think that's missing right now in, in pickleball is the focus when you watch live pickleball or pro pickleball, it's basically just on who wins and who loses, you know, and, and how good the feed can look, you know, and how nice the graphic boards can be in the background. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a pretty picture when you turn it on, but you know, that's not to me really where pro sports is right now, you know, in the year 2023, you know, pro sports is, is sort of becoming less about the wins and the losses and the plays on the field or the court as it is about who the people are that are on those fields and those courts. You know, social media has done that. Social media has given, you know, athletes a life off the field. You know, if you go back, you know, I'll use like a Jets reference, like Joe Namath. All you knew is kind of what you saw on TV. You didn't, you didn't know Joe. No one knew who this person was. You know, with social media, you get a very intimate look at, at the inside of people's lives. You know, and that there's value to that. And no one's really telling that story. So as we're looking to build out our team, we want, in, we, we want great players. We want good athletes. We want good people. But we want interesting people. We want people who have stories that we can tell. We want you know, people who can generate content that people want to see, you know, and, and people who are dialed in to, you know, not necessarily, you know, just focusing on what happens inside the 44 by 20 foot box that they play pickleball in, you know, but what happens when they step off that court, what happens in between matches, what happens, you know, at the hotels or in the parking lot, that's, that's the player we're looking at. So um, hoping by, you know, the next month or so, we're going to have some interesting announcements to make on, on players, but it's a, it's a tough landscape to, to, to work in right now with, with pro pickleball. You know, it's, it's really difficult. There's, there's agents involved, there's tours involved, there's all kinds of different marketing and, and sponsorship arrangements that you have to function within. So it's, it's very challenging, but you know, we're, like I said before, I'm up for the challenge. I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. When you spoke about the, kind of like the difference between the Kitsch Lifestyle Collection, which you're introducing, which will be the Kitsch PB Sport Collection, and then you're talking about like building out a pro team. 
um, and some of these other ideas like the events, like destination travel clinics. How do you know when a project or a campaign is successful or not? For, for me, I mean, listen, the, the easy answer is you look at your bottom line. You look at if it makes money. Um, but that's to me not always been the most important thing. There are certain things that can lose money but be successful or or make money and not be successful and not be something that's going to stand the test of time. Um, I can tell you I have – and this is not necessarily good advice for anybody because there's there's no science to it. For me, it's pure gut feeling. I, I And I think that's what kind of makes me good at what I do is I have a really good grasp from a gut feeling perspective of – you know, when to keep going on something and when to pull the plug, you know, and, and what I try to do is you always try to push a little bit farther than when you think the plug should be pulled. Cause it's like almost when you get to that point, you try to give it, it's one last little last ditch effort and see if it works. Um, so I think you just have to, like we mentioned before, come up with an idea, be confident in the idea, plan the idea, and then go after it. But then just, kind of trust your gut on when it's telling you like, you know what, this is not, not a, a, a good use of your time. I mean, there's, there's easy metrics, you know, if, if, if you're trying to sell something and no one's buying it, well, there, there's a problem there. You know, if you're, if you're trying to put on an event and no one's entering, well, there, there's a problem there. You know, if I put out a t-shirt and nobody buys it, well, then nobody likes something about that shirt, whether it's the color or the design. So get rid of it. Um, you know, so you got to trust the metrics that every business has built in from a from a, a a numbers standpoint. But then it's just it's just gut feeling. You just got to trust your gut and uh, and don't fall in love with all of your own creative. You know, at, at my core, I'm a creative person, and you know, there's the old adage that you know artists don't make good business people, and I'm. I'm by no means an artist, but, you know, a creative person could be considered the same thing, you know, and creative people can start to fall in love with their own, you know, BS, so to speak. And that's something I kind of learned early on because I, I used to buy into my own, you know what? And now it's like, you know what? You, you, you can't do that. You got to be, you got to, you got to trust your gut, but you also can't, you know, be your own cheerleader. You know, you got to, you got to cut ties with something when it really wasn't a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can hold that, hold some of those things a little too close to yourself. And also there's like sunk cost fallacy. So it's, it's tough to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, so there are many reasons that can contribute to the success of a business. Um, one of the most important factors is having a clear and compelling uh, value proposition. Is there you know, something that really separates you from your competitors, something that maybe you saw early on or you're st still seeing now. Um, yeah. Um, you know, twofold, you know, one, I, I, and we hit on it before I am the pick, the clothing company for the pickleball player, you know, for the player, by the player, that type of thing. Um, but then, you know, from a, a, a an inside company standpoint, we are a small company that can achieve big things. And that's what really sets us apart from our competition. Um, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, we do a lot of custom printing work and, and 
and, and shirt printing work for the pickleball industry kind of behind the scenes. And, and if you take a look at, you know, some of the smaller cap clothing companies in the sport, you know, you go to them and you're like, Hey, you know, we, we have an event coming up, we need a thousand shirts. Those companies have no idea how to even make that order happen. Well, for us, you know, we're, we're doing thousand shirt runs all the time, you know, so we are able to really pull off large scale projects but do it as if that customer was coming to us with an order of 10. You know, I treat every, I treat every order the same, whether you're ordering 10 shirts or a thousand shirts, you get the same level of customer service. That's important. You know, everything's important. One, because if you, to me, if you agree to take on a project, it's your job to make sure you do it to the best of your ability. The other is you never know when that 10 person, you know, that 10 shirt job from that client, that client blows up and now they're the thousand person client, thousand t-shirt client, you know? So, the value proposition really comes down to giving people the small family business feel with the output of a large company. You know, I think that's, that's what sets us apart, you know, is really it's on that customer service side. Yeah. I mean, everything you just said kind of gives me that like Northeast, I'm not surprised, you know, you, your shop is up in New Jersey. It's New Jersey, right? Yep. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I'm from Virginia, but you have definitely have that Northeast uh, business mentality. It's something I always uh, appreciated about whenever you go up to New York, New Jersey, you go to Philly. Um, they always take care of the people. They always like, like you said, whatever you take on, you do it to the best of your ability. It doesn't matter the size of who you are, the size of your company. Uh, you always putting out the best, um, and you have a very high standard, um, never, never count yourself out. But, uh, is there a book that you have read that has maybe not been directly correlated to your business, but who you are as a person that has changed you? Uh, that's a bad one for me. I, I'm not a, I'm not a book guy for sure. Um. I, I am a TV guy uh, and I am a kind of studier of businesses. So, you know, it's very cliche at this point to say, but, you know, Shark Tank has had a very big effect on me um, and studying the success of other companies has really been uh, something that, that that's been important to me. And, and one of the, the companies that I've always, it's kind of... It, the company that really was the launching point for the first business I ever started was Tap Out. If I don't know if you're familiar with uh, like UFC and mixed martial arts. Yep, I used to be a professional MMA fighter, so that definitely rings a bell. That's funny; I haven't heard that word in a go. long time. Yep. So, so Tap Out was the T-shirt company for mixed martial arts. You know, back in if you go back 20 years. If you didn't watch UFC or, or train MMA like you did, you didn't know what Tap Out was. You know, now Tap Out's, you know, a global brand, you know, but, you know, I, I watched the launch of that business and how they, you know, were selling T-shirts out of the trunk of their car and, you know, really focusing on the athlete. And I studied that, that company like crazy. Um, and that had a big influence on me. And so interestingly enough, you know, tap out is a way to win a mixed martial arts fight. So that's how they got the name. 
the best shot you can hit in racquetball is rollout. So rollout was the name of my first company. Um, so it was really, really correlatable. And there's a quote from uh, Charles Lewis, who was the guy who founded Tap Out. Uh, you probably remember, he's the guy that had the face paint on, they called him Mask. Um, he had a quote that said, I may not touch a million people, but I might touch that one that touches a million. And I've had that, uh, that quote on a, on a magnet, on a, uh, a paperweight on my desk. And I've always, I've, I've always looked at that. And, and what that always told me was, you know, you don't necessarily have to be that person who gets famous, so to speak. But you never know by the what you do in business and what people you partner with and what people you influence, one of those people might be the one that goes global or viral or or makes it big. And and by partnering with the right people, you can be a catalyst for those those individual successes. You know, so while not not a book guy, definitely a studier of businesses and a TV guy. Yeah. Hey, TV I think is a uh... Definitely a powerful new medium. Um, I appreciate that quote. And yeah, hopefully this podcast can serve as um, uh, a medium for that one person who's out there who can, you know, kind of change the world or touch a million people. Um, Where can people find out more about Kitsch? What's your social media? Uh, Feel free to kind of do your uh, plug here. Sure. Absolutely. So our website is kitchpickleball.com. Uh, and we're at, it's pretty easy. We're at Kitch Pickleball on all the major social media platforms. Uh, pretty much Facebook and Instagram are our, our focuses right now. We're launching a YouTube page this year for sure. Uh, I haven't, I haven't ventured into mastering TikTok yet, but it's on my, it's on my radar. Um, so find us on there, you know, on our Instagram, we're going to be promoting heavily this year, the events we're going to. So if you see that we're going to an event, come up to the booth, say hi, hang out with us. Like we very much want to be, you know, that VIP experience for people at tournaments, you know, where they can come have a good time and, you know, hopefully buy a t-shirt and, and, and rep our stuff. But we just want to meet pickleball players. You know, we, we want to get out in front of, uh, of people and really tap into this amazing community and social element that the sport brings to the table. Um, it's been, it's been an awesome ride and what's fun is as crazy as the last whatever six seven years have been we haven't even we as a company and the sport hasn't even scratched the surface yet um you know it's i i joke that it's frustrating that the sport feels like it changes you know at least once a week at this point um but that's what makes it fun you know that's what makes it challenging that's what makes it you know, it's what keeps you on your toes and keeps you, uh, keeps you hungry to, to, to want to be better. Um, it can be frustrating for sure. Cause it's like, once you feel like you have a strategy going, you know, someone makes a Facebook post and then the whole pickleball world is thrown into a frenzy, you know, but you know, as long as you're, as long as you keep to your, to your, like you said, your value proposition and your, and you stick to your guns, you can be nimble. You can change, you can, you can roll with the punches, so to speak. And, God, I don't, I don't know where the sport's going to be in five to 10 years, but I feel confident that we're going to be a part of it when, wherever it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. Come say hi at the Kitch Pickleball booth. You just look for the short guy with the gray hair. Look for <laughs> that. Um, Pretty yeah. soon I'm going to be the short guy with the gray hair soon. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I really appreciate your time and really appreciate you being open and transparent about uh, the successes, the setbacks, challenges about your business, um, giving an opportunity for others to learn from your mistakes, I think is very important. Um, it's also just important to make their own mistakes as well. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to live vicariously through others and um, avoid some if you can. But really appreciate your time. And uh, again, Kitch Pickleball, this was an episode with Jonathan Clay. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, best advice I can give people to leave this with is, you know, if, if whether it's in pickleball, outside of pickleball, if you want to start a business, if you, you do your research, do your homework, ask yourselves all the right questions before you do it. But if all those things check out, go for it. Just, just try, you know, whether it's business, life, whatever, just try, try stuff, be, be, take risks. If, if you, you know, living it, taking it the safe road, it's no fun in the end. You know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there and take risks. And I, I promise you, you know, win, lose or draw, you will thank yourself as a result of it. And it's going to make the ride a lot more fun. Awesome. I don't have, I don't have anything to add to that. It's perfect closing. I appreciate it. Yep.